0: Thank you, Valerie Joy Fidmont. (laughs) Resurrect me, Lord, this day as I die to my old way, my old way which no longer serves, that which would hold me back, that would keep me operating in smallness. Resurrect me out of that so that I may rise up and do what I am called to do, which is to be the living presence here and now doing God's work. Resurrect me. Thank you for that. Thank you also, Reverend Sonia Ray Russell. What did she say? Eight billion people on the planet is eight billion ways to know God. I'm surrounded by teachers today. Good morning, heart and soul, center of light all of you who are so beautifully arrayed here in our sanctuary as well as all of you who are uh out in the world wherever you may be good morning good afternoon good evening thank you for being here one and all um it has been a while since i have actually been in the front of the room uh, <laughs> and 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 It's understandable because with the advent of the global pandemic, we needed to put in place um, a way to continue our gathering, although we weren't allowed to assemble physically in a room like this. And so I was part of a very small team to put together a live streaming uh, function for our church. And over the past, I don't know, feels like two, two and a half years, we have been perfecting that, and I'm so pleased to say that that perfection has also yielded some help. So I am grateful for for Pam, for Kiki, for all of those who are right. who, who are making me somewhat irrelevant to be up in the audiovisual circle. So. Th- that I can be down here I didn't really go to ministerial school so I could learn how to live stream so um, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here this morning, uh, and I, I have to confess uh, I'm about a week late. I was actually supposed to deliver the message last Sunday, and it was it's, it's sort of embarrassing because um, I although I was going through something, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit of depth and detail, um, I actually... (sighs) I needed more time to heal, is what it was. And as the time approached, it was within 72 hours of me being here to deliver the talk. I realized I wasn't there yet. And I wasn't sure what to do about that. I I knew I was not going to let our senior and founding minister down, but I received a call from none other than our president of our board of trustees, Reverend Jack Elliott, who, who said to me, how are you doing? And before you answer that, please know that we have your back and I can be on a train and be there and do the talk. And that is how Reverend Jack came forward with such a magnificent talk, allies, advocates, and co-conspirators. This was an amazing history lesson and spiritual lesson when you put your intention on what is for the highest and best, it expands. That's all we're ever talking about here at Heart and Soul. And so, as I say, I'm glad to be here, and I'm really, really, really glad that Reverend Dr. Andriette Earle, our community spiritual leader, is not here. She's on vacation, and I am exceedingly glad that she is, because as somebody who is behind the scenes with her, I see how much she pours of herself every day from... Dawn until dusk. She is working on thinking about, communicating about, heart and soul center of light, and we don't need a minister, a senior minister, who is going to be burned out to a frazzle. So we absolutely support her getting that rest, but I have to warn you, when she returns, we're probably gonna to have to put seat belts on these chairs because she's gonna be coming back with such renewed energy, such focus that uh, we want you to be able to retain your seats and well, we'll work it out. Yes, indeed. So as for myself, I have been on, well, what else? An adventure in faith. Thank you. Y'all know, y'all been paying attention. An Adventure of Faith or Adventures in Faith is what our theme is for 2023. Adventures in Faith, Trusting Divine Guidance. Now, if you've been around Heart and Soul for the last year, well, since January, then you'll recognize this as being our um, theme for 2023 and every Sunday. Dr. Andriette trots this out. You see this slide. She makes a point of saying, adventures in faith, trusting divine guidance. We are on an adventure in faith. We are trusting divine guidance over and over again. Because she's the kind of teacher who understands that a certain amount of repetition causes something to be embedded in memory. Now, the 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 adventure of faith that I've been on has called me this morning to want to also add a little more depth to this idea of an adventure in faith, because what I need you to know is that adventures in faith, trusting divine guidance, that is not just a slick marketing slogan that Dr. Andriette or the ecclesiastical team, myself, Reverend Jack, and and Dr. Andriette came up with as we do every single year. In uh, the last quarter of the year, we actually come together and vision. Visioning is a process where we ask God, what is your divine vision for the theme of Heart and Soul Center of Life in the next year? And in our visioning um, process, that's what came through. Adventures in faith, trusting divine guidance. And so we had to come up to speed like, what does that mean? And in all of our trotting it out, it's important to really focus, I think, on this word adventure, because it can be a little bit slippery. It can be easily confused with another derivative word that is a Venture. There's a difference between a venture and an adventure in faith. So, what I want to do is, with your permission, go on a little bit of a deep dive here and uh, talk about. Let's 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 take a look at venture. It is a venture, right? So, a venture is an undertaking usually a business opportunity that involves risk, chance, maybe a modicum of danger. There's always risk in going into a business venture. There's the the primary risk of whether or not you're going to make any money and the things that may impact your ability to do that. Now, what really distinguishes a venture from an adventure is that in a venture, the risks are well known, or can be well known, and well understood beforehand. So um, when risks and dangers are understood in a business venture, the predictability of how you will approach that business or how successful you can be in that business tend to be kind of high. It's predictable, because you're supported by facts, right? That's the whole point of being in business. I can see where this is a little fuzzy, but bear with me. I promise I'm going somewhere spiritual. Let's. um, I have an idea. Let's go into business together, all of us. All of you here in the sanctuary, all of you who are watching from wherever you are on whatever device, it doesn't matter. We're going to, uh, do I have your permission? Can we go into business together? All right, thank you. You're all my business partners. And the business that we are going in, we're going into the coffee growing and selling business. Now, we're not just going to do that in a, in a small kind of way, we're looking at worldwide scale. So, what we're going to do is we're going to grow coffee in Brazil. And once that coffee grows up into a state where it can be harvested, we're gonna sell those beans to coffee roasters everywhere, up in Seattle, in Paris, in Brussels, wherever people need coffee beans to roast, we're gonna be the supplier, is that all right? All right, we're gonna make uh, some money on this. And it's important to know that in order to be successful in our business, we got to know, certainly one thing, we got to know how much we're going to sell the coffee for. Now, here's the thing, coffee is already selling for a price today. But the price that we're going to sell our coffee for can't be today's price, because on today, Sunday, September 10th, 2023, we don't have no coffee. We've got people somewhere down in Brazil who are taking little coffee beans and sticking them in the ground. And it's going to take six months for those plants to raise up to maturity so that we can have some beans to sell. So we need to figure out the price of coffee not for today, but for six months from now. Speculation, exactly right. We need to know how much to charge for coffee. So, remember I said in a business venture, there are risks that can be well known. People who make a business of knowing risks are sometimes called business analysts. And they're looking at your business to see, okay, where are the possibilities of making money or going south? Can uh, can we bring up the coffee slide so that we can see what risk there possibly could be in our coffee business. Well, there could be a risk in terms of weather or climate, right? Is it going to rain too much? Not rain enough? Is it going to be too hot, too cold? Is that going to impact our little coffee acreage in Brazil, where we're trying to grow the beans? And what about the uh, stability of the government in Brazil. What's going on down there? Are, are they on the verge of perhaps some kind of military or political coup that can upset the way they do business and impact our ability to make a profit or, or mess with our supply chains in some way? Is there a possibility that there could be a regional conflict, if not in Brazil, then nearby, that would somehow bump into our ability to do this business, to raise the coffee. What about labor problems? Now, because we are spiritual people, we know that we are going to be fair to our laborers, we're going to pay them well, we're going to treat them well, but they've been around for a while, for years and years, maybe unfilled promises, maybe they've been treated badly, maybe they've been cheated, and for all we know, they may be gearing up for a labor action that happens at harvest time that will interfere with our business these are risks and knowable facts uh, along with case i'm sorry crop histories regarding coffee what has the growing of coffee looked like from year to year over time that also informs us with more facts that tell us about this business. Y'all with me so far? Okay, it's important because you're partners and we're in this together. So, um, I need to contrast this idea of a business venture with an adventure. If we could show the adventure slide, because it's important to understand the difference between the two. So an adventure is fundamentally different. It's actually the, the root word. Uh, venture is the derivative of adventure, as you might imagine. So here again, an adventure involves risk. It involves s- some danger, some, some sense of threat that can come about in a journey or a series of events. Now, where an adventure really becomes distinct and separate from a venture is that these risks and dangers that are uh, part of an adventure are not well known. This is an unusual undertaking, if you see that first bullet point, meaning there's, there's usually no precedent. For an adventure, there's a sense of unknown, unusual occurrences that may happen. So the risks and dangers are not well known, not well understood. Think of every adventure movie you've seen. Maybe you've seen The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings films. You remember those? Those hobbits or dwarves or whatever, they went skipping and whistling off into an adventure but they didn't know when they left home that they were going to run into orcs and goblins and draglins and who knows what. They were just on an adventure, not knowing what the outcome would be, not being informed by facts as to how to handle it. So, why am I telling you all this? I told you I would get somewhere spiritual, and I plan to. Now, I... I have been on my own adventure, as I mentioned before, um, and I'll just come right to it. About three weeks, maybe three and a half weeks, it's getting hard to tell. The time seems to be fleeting. I tested positive for COVID. And the way it happened was I woke up on a Tuesday morning uh, knowing that I had to speak at Heart and Soul in a couple of weeks. And when I woke up, I had a tremendous headache. And the worst sore throat that I've had in years, in fact, I haven't had a sore throat in years, which made this odd to begin with. But I thought, ah, oh, I've just got some kind of bug, you know, I'll just take some ibuprofen and we'll be fine. I took the ibuprofen. Two hours later, it's worse. Something occurred to me, maybe I need to go ahead and do the COVID test. Now, you, most of you have had experience with the COVID test kits. It's really quite simple. You take a sample, you put it in a little reservoir, and then you wait for 20 minutes while the test sample is cooking, and it gradually reveals a little faint pink line, and then it tells you whether you're positive or negative. Every test I've ever taken has said it was negative. So I put the sample in the reservoir, and I am prepared to wait, 20 minutes, and what happened? As soon as I put that sample in there, pow! A black line, practically (laughs) three-dimensional popped up on the thing, like, yeah, you're positive for COVID, you have COVID right now, today. Don't even wait, forget the 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, this can't be possible because I've done everything right. I went and got all of the inoculations. And then I turned around and went and got the inoculation boosters. I didn't do any of the risky behaviors. I didn't eat out at restaurants. I didn't go to tightly packed events like concerts. I didn't hang out at parties. I didn't put substances in my bodies that would weaken my immune system. I did everything right. How is it that I have COVID? So... I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Anyway, I do the right things. I notify the people that need to be notified. I call my doctor, and my doctor said not to worry. Fortunately, you are inoculated up, but because of your age, we want to put you on this medication that's going to help things. And uh, so I go get the medication, and I'm thinking, whoosh, that was a close one. I'm glad we got the medication, because I'll breeze right on through this, be ready to talk at heart and soul in a couple of weeks. And I took the first dose of the medication. You have to take it twice a day, three pills at a time. And by the end of that day, when I went to bed, I felt horrible. And I'm thinking, uh, oh, well, the, the medicine just has to kick in. By the time I wake up in the morning, everything will be fine. When I woke up the next morning, the pain and discomfort I was in transcended everything in my experience. My throat felt it w- like it was being simultaneously crushed and incinerated. I also had lost overnight the ability to swallow. So that meant I couldn't eat. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't want to swallow because it hurt. I'm not, yeah, my throat hurt. I could not, whatever the reflex is that gives you that ability, I couldn't do it. So now I've got problems. I can't eat, I can't even manage the saliva in my mouth. Too much information, I know. But this is now a problem. So I'm going, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take the next dosage of the medication, I take it, and then it's like it fell off a cliff with how bad I felt. Something told me, because I'm isolating, and I'm getting weaker. Go look up this medicine. <laughs> Make sure you're not overlooking something. Are you taking too much? Are you uh, Looks like you're following the directions. I went online and looked up the medicine. And the medicine says, if you are experiencing painful, sustained pain, constriction of the throat, problems breathing, and an inability to swallow, stop taking this. Stuff immediately. Turns out I'm having an adverse reaction to the medicine and it's practically killing me. So I let, I, I stopped taking it obviously because the next step was hospitalization. We don't want that. And as the hours are going by and I'm going through the next couple of days, the effects of the toxicity of the medication are wearing off, and I'm feeling somewhat better. I'm regaining the ability to swallow, and I'm able to eat something. However, I'm also now starting to feel what COVID really feels like. I wasn't feeling COVID before. I'm feeling medicine and poison or whatever. <laughs> so. I happen to live with the best wife in the world. All due respect to wives everywhere, just that my wife is best for me, yeah? My wife, Betty, took such excellent care of me and we're isolated in separate rooms and when she is checking on me, she comes into my room kind of dressed like an astronaut. You know, she's, she's like, do you need anything? And I'm like, I didn't need anything because I I didn't have an appetite, but I think I needed to talk. So I told her, actually, I kind of dumped on her all of the anger and disappointment and sadness that I had about this major inconvenience of having COVID. So I did everything right, I took the inoculations, the inoculation boosters. I didn't do any risky behaviors. And she listened patiently because that's how she is. And after I was completely spent in telling the story, because you have to understand, I was in the story. You know what, do we have the slide of the little fella? Yeah, that's me, that's my photograph. (laughs) That's where I was while I'm telling Betty how terrible it is. Why has this happened to me? I don't deserve it. Something's wrong with the whole universe. And so Betty, after listening, there was sort of this moment of silence. And I'm sort of like stewing in it. And, and she says, OK, so let's review. You." Got the inoculations, you got the inoculation boosters. You did everything that you were supposed to. I say, Yeah, I sure did. I did. <laughs> and she paused and she said, and I quote, and what about your spiritual boosters? <laughs> That's exactly what she said. What about your spiritual boosters? I want to tell you something, it is not easy becoming a minister. It begins with a a kind of exorbitant expenditure of money so that you can go to ministerial school. Then you have to read more books than you ever thought was in print. You have to write more papers than you ever thought you could type. You have to learn about comparative religions, psychology, ministerial ethics, and for crying out loud, quantum physics. All of this stuff takes years of focused learning, learning how to speak in front of a a crowd, all of it. And then on top of that, have 14 years of ministerial experience only to end up in COVID and have some beloved who has not spent a day in ministerial school, although she was a, a preacher's kid, say to you, what about your spiritual It just goes to show you. See, Betty recognized that I wasn't having an adventure in faith. I was having an adventure in facts. The facts that supported my ideas of why it shouldn't be happening to me. Now, this is this is not new. I want to... Um, I want to talk about these spiritual um, boosters a little bit. Can we see the the slide that that has the web of faith? So this is a slide that I came up with to support the idea that the spiritual boosters are all those little uh, diamond shapes in black. It's your kindness in the world. This is all the things that we need to be and to do in order to have proper relationship supported by faith so that we can know something beyond facts that can carry us through to what we're supposed to know. Something about gratitude, living in a state of gratitude, living in a state of grace and remembering to pray, being of service to others, uh, giving and receiving, meditating, being loving and compassionate and kind, all of these, and many, many, many more. I could have filled up dozens of slides and still had room. What did Reverend Sonia say? There are eight billion ways to know God. These try these. Diamonds are ways to know God, but it's not uncommon that people have been confused about being on an adventure in faith. In fact, it goes back to scripture. I want to talk a little bit about John 11. Now, this is a story that most of us know. It is the story of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who are siblings, and they are also very good friends of the master teacher, Yeshua. Now, Scripture tells us that Yeshua loved Lazarus, loved Mary, loved Martha. They were exceedingly tight. Now, you might think, well, they're just a kind of a warm and fuzzy family group, and I'm sure that that has something to do with it. I'm sure there was a sense of camaraderie, but there is enough historical context to point to the fact that Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus were probably also patrons of his ministry. They supported him in one way or another, either financially, through service, and that was the bond that held them together, the love that bound them together. And so Lazarus, as you may recall, from the story, became sick. And Yeshua was at some distance away. And Mary sent word to Yeshua to say, I need you here. Because if you're here, my brother will be all right. And Yeshua set out. But he was delayed in getting there. So delayed, in fact, that Lazarus died and had been dead for four days by the time he showed up. What is instructive in this this bit of, of Scripture is how Mary responded when she saw him. Now, you have to understand the relationship. Nothing had really changed. Mary still loved Yeshua. She wasn't about to get up in his face and said, where the heck were you? I called you and you didn't come. Look, he's dead now. She fell at his feet. Prostate in her grief. Because she's like, I don't understand this. Wherever you have shown up, remember when you showed up in Bethesda, the man by the the water, you know, you just told him to pick up his bed and walk, and he was healed after being down for 38 years. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood. All she did was touch the hem of your garment, and she was relieved of that condition. Remember the man who was tormented by the insane demons of insanity, (laughs) and you cured him. Wherever you have gone, where there have been living people, healing happens. Why could you not be here? That was the way she was feeling. She also was feeling some kind of way because those were the facts that she understood. And so Yeshua had to do something different. He had to have an adventure in faith. He had to do something unusual. He had to be something unusual that had not been seen before. And so they went to the burial place and he asked them to remove the stone. They rolled the stone away and moved the stone out of the way. And he stepped forward and he looked into himself and he began to pray. And he said, Father, first of all, I thank you for hearing me. He was in gratitude, one of those black diamonds that you saw before and but by being in gratitude and acknowledging that connection he was absolutely saying you and I are one we are always in communion there is no separation between us he was establishing the right atmosphere and the right framework to understand his relationship to absolute power and he says I know that you always hear me But for the sake of those who are present, who are yet to be on this adventure in faith, I need you to allow your power, your way to move through me in a way that they can understand so they can walk away with some facts that can support them until they get where they need to be in faith. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. He called forth Lazarus, and Lazarus came out wrapped in burial clothes. Now, it doesn't matter to me whether you believe that literal story or not. You know, I've heard people say, well, he was actually in a coma. Yeah, I I have no idea, wasn't there. But I do believe in the power of faith. And this was recorded. and has withstood the test of time for two millennium for a reason. So this faith is a state of, of, of being brought about by remembering our relationship with God. And what else do I want to tell you about that? The spiritual boosters that I shared? they're not distractions from your normal living. They're supposed to be part of your normal living. They're they're tools that empower us to face the challenges with strength and with resilience, and it's what we need to do and be in all of the picoseconds between when we leave here at Heart and Soul Center of Light and we arrive here next Sunday. Now, what are picoseconds? I can see like the question marks. I had to look it up myself. A picosecond is one one trillionth of a second. It is the smallest measure of time that science can produce these days. In all of those moments, that's when we need to be practicing. That's when we need to be knowing our, our spiritual boosters. So I wanted to bring you this message on the 3rd last week. Um, beca- it was so beautifully supported by a, um, uh, the writing by Dr. Daniel Lee Morgan from Guidance for a Spiritual Journey. Um, and, and I want to bring it up anyway because the date doesn't matter. This is universal truth that Dr. Dan taught. What does he say? He says there are two ways of thinking. We've just illustrated two ways of thinking. One calls for the directional method, right? Thinking through facts and figures, being informed ahead of time. And the other requires us to be still and know that I am God. When we are still, we are receptive to being in faith. Uh Uh-oh, I hope that ain't the hook coming to get me. (laughs) I'm going to wrap it up here relatively shortly, but... This one way of being rationalistic, using symbols, facts, ideas, established laws to guide our thinking processes, that's what we work on in our coffee venture or anything that can be supported by facts. But the other, an adventure, is intuitional. It's spiritual to a high degree, using faith, love, and meditation as guides. If you're not meditating, please start. There are lots of ways. In fact, it's really hard to get meditation wrong. Learn a method that supports you. I also want to um, lift up something that Ernest Holmes said. He basically says the same thing. He says, there is a power that flows Through your words of faith, you see you're more powerful than you have any idea. That's why you are allowed to come here, because you're beings of power and light. And the greatest adventure of your life resides in your conscious use of this power. You've been given agency by the divine. Faith is a great adventure. That's what Dr. Dan wrote a stimulating pursuit, a worthwhile attempt to utilize the higher laws of your being for definite purposes. You matter to God. That's what Ernest Holmes said, not Dr. Dan. It's important to know our relationship to the divine. And it's still even more supported by Scripture the importance of faith because Yeshua kind of admonishes us in Matthew 17 where he says, you know, I'm telling you now, if you had the the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, that's not even a mustard seed, that's a grain of a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, get on over to there and it will go. It may sound like hyperbole. It's not, because God's power knows no limit. We are here to practice, to evolve, to get to the point where we can do this. However, here's the real thing. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to to know the truth about our relationship with God and to have faith and to establish that communication, just like when Yeshua said, Father, I know you hear me always. We need to be able to say, I know you are with me, and that this thing that I'm moving through right now, you got this. I'm supported. Oh, yesterday, as I'm sure many of you know, our girl, Coco Golf, won the New York Open at 19 years old. And in front of 50,000 people in that stadium and countless millions worldwide, when she won, what did she do? She fell down and prayed right there. I was no more good. When the commentators asked her what was she doing? What was that all about? She said something I never would have expected from a 19-year-old. She said, I never pray for results. She said, I pray that I show up fully as me, fully supported, and let God do the rest. And once again, Coco was able to turn herself over. Coco, Yeshua, Anyone who is willing, all they have to do is say to the Lord, Use me! Use me, O God! I stand for you, and here I will abide until you show me all that I must do.